Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. All right, I'm getting salty again. I'm getting angry. (laughs) We're going to talk about that, actually, this idea of leading with anger. We've talked about that a few times on the show. I don't like being angry. I'm a friendly guy. I like being nice. I like helping people, lifting people up, encouraging people. But sometimes these people, man, they get me fired up. And today I got fired up. I already had this episode planned, but I saw this headline today about uh, Ariana Grande's new album. It's a live album. And it's from a couple years ago. I'm guessing she was probably about 23, 24 at the time when she recorded this at uh, this uh, on the end of this huge tour that she had been doing. And the, te- the, the headline is about how this is potentially her peak as a musician, and I just got livid. I just, why? Why would you say that? And the reason I'm angry about it is, what even makes you think that someone's peak, no matter what field, would happen at age 24? Are you insane? And it's that kind of toxic, creative mythology that feeds just so much BS that really, truly 
hurts artists' ability to reach their highest heights and greatest work. And I'm so glad that uh, Ryan Johnson and Linda Berry and uh, Lord and Will Smith and Jordan Peele and all these people didn't buy into the crap, didn't get lost in the mental gymnastics and the demons of saying, maybe my best days are behind me when they were 24. And I'm guessing you feel the same because you enjoy devouring this, their best work that came at all different stages of their career. And so in this episode, what I'm going to give you is 20 prompts, 20 creative prompts for 2020 to get you out of a rut, to shake things up, to make 2020 a year that's completely different than anything you expect to get out of your creativity because that's what creativity is all about, man. Do it going places you don't know where it's going to end up, right? Uh, and so I, I think 2019 was a big year for me creatively and getting out of some of some of the well-worn grooves in my creative work, shaking it up, getting uncomfortable, making some stuff that maybe wasn't so good, but, uh, unlocking and being okay and comfortable with the uncomfort, the discomfort of trying new things because there's this pendulum swing that I think is necessary to make sure that your best work doesn't happen when you're 24. And I think it requires being willing to make mistakes, get it wrong, go through, see, and just be, and also be aware as you're like, you know what, this doesn't feel as comfortable as the stuff I was making six months ago or that I've been making for the past five years. And to be like, good. Knowing that's the sign of I'm doing the pendulum. I was talking to my agent, Ryan uh, Appleton, uh, recently, and he mentioned this idea called the Sugar Ray Effect. And I'm sorry, Mark McGrath, if you're listening to this podcast, but maybe you need to shake it up, brother. Like, here's the thing. Uh, The Sugar Ray Effect, I guess, is this idea that Sugar Ray had this hit uh, called Fly. I don't know if you know that song. I just want to fly. Put your arms around me, baby. I was obsessed with that song. When I was a kid. It was like the first album I think I bought. And it's so funny because that whole album is like really hardcore, except for that song. And I didn't know it when I bought the album. And so that's when I learned about my Walkman's repeat one track function. <laughs> just listen to that song a billion times. But I guess what they did was after that hit happened, they just basically kept recreating the same song over and over and over. And for a while, I I actually think, and we talk about this on the show a lot, I think there's a lot of power And when something resonates with you and it resonates with your audience, I think there's a lot of power in finding that groove and really exploring that groove. I'm down with that. But it doesn't take much for a groove to become a rut, 
to become something you get stuck in. You keep going back and forth through this familiar territory until you've worked yourself down so deep that you don't even know how to make anything that doesn't feel like that kind of work. And so in this episode, I'm going to give you 20 ideas that have come from 20 of my creative heroes that have helped me get out of my creative ruts, shake it up so that 2019 became something that I did not expect whatsoever. And I believe that 2020 is going to be the same, just in bigger, better ways. So some of these might not do it for you. Just let them wash over you. Let them pass on by. But it's my hope that a handful of these things are just going to light your creativity up. And today, you're going to make something that you had no idea you were going to make yesterday. Are you ready? Are you down? Buckle up. Let's get going. 20 prompts, 20 creative prompts to shake up your 2020. Let's do it. All right, number one, let's learn from the master, Andre 3000 of Outcast. So I recently was listening to an episode of On the Record, which is Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Really fantastic. I uh, started to get into that. And uh, this episode was one of the influences and and catalysts of this episode you're listening to now because it's Rick Rubin having a chat with Andre 3000 and I'd read articles in the past not you know in the recent past about Andre's uh, just mental creative blocks because of being hailed as a genius and having so much scrutiny and attention given to his every move and every release and how it's made it so that he's basically not made hardly anything in like a decade. And you know that just brings tears to my eyes. I can't deal with one of my favorite artists just being totally destroyed by uh, their own hype. And uh, so I want to start here. I've got two points from that episode that are great prompts. The first one is take from other genres. So Andre talks about in this episode that uh, Bombs Over Baghdad, which is arguably one of their game-changing songs, Pitchfork gave it Song of the Decade. It impacted hip-hop in such a dramatic way because it's so different. I remember hearing that as a kid, and I grew up watching BET, and uh, that was just the way that me and my brother did it, and hearing Bombs Over Baghdad and just being like, holy crap, like it was so weird and it was and it just spoke to me and I was freaking obsessed with it and it had such a different energy to any other hip hop that we were listening to and Andre said that this came from listening to Rage Against the Machine and he was like you know there's not even any obvious you know influence from Rage Against the Machine other than listening to them made him want to make something with that level of 
uh, immediacy and energy, and you can hear it in Bombs Over Baghdad. And I think that there's just something really interesting going on there. So are you pulling from all the same influences of your, from your genre, from your peers? There's this uh, Murakami quote that says, if you only read the books that everyone else is reading, you can only think what everyone else is thinking. And for me, it's been really helpful to pull from genres that I have no business uh, <laughs> looking into. So for me, it's like sci-fi, fantasy, concept art, um, and fan art. Like I love, I get super into, I got some accounts on Instagram where I'm following like uh, Instagram uh, po uh, Pokemon fan art that are turning those into like Pokemon into mech warriors and like Mega Man fan art, crazy bad guys and new suits and all that kind of stuff. And I'm very inspired by that. It impacts my work. Uh, a more direct version is I like taking stuff from things that are regarded as terrible uh, and seeing if I can turn it into something good. One example of that, I have this poster in my shop at creativepeptalk.etsy.com that says Reach for the Stars. And that poster was inspired by the uh, harshly critiqued Marvel movie posters. Have you seen these, you know, like the Avengers where it's like 30 people on there and they're all different scales and sizes and it's just a bunch of chaos. It's freaking, you know, very distracting and over the top maximalist. And I don't actually like those posters, um, but there was just something about like the prompt, the challenge of could I take this really awful thing and turn it into something that I'm really excited about. Could I use this uh, weird challenge from a totally different genre? And that poster that I made is one of my favorite posters, but it also led to one of my all-time favorite projects, which was with the client Warby Parker, where I got to design uh, the internal, the uh, interior mural and some outdoor signage and some pens and all that for my local Columbus, Ohio chapter of the shop Warby Parker they sell glasses anyway love that freaking project was directly awarded because of that poster that poster was directly a ripoff of Marvel movie posters so are you digging deep into weird influences and genres outside of your purview for fresh inspiration because you should be, according to Andre 3000. Um, <laughs> so yeah, go beyond your genre. Back in the day, I started pulling from, I started diving deep into the world of Lisa Frank. Um, I never, really, again, I never really had like a, an especially, um, you know, uh, acquired palette for Lisa Frank. I never had any Lisa Frank stuff. It never really did it for me. But it, I got curious about it because I saw this documentary about her. I guess she's kind of like a mysterious figure. And I started just thinking about all this freaking work that has been churned out by her company and that style and just how maximalist and crazy it was. And this is maybe four or five years ago. And I just went down that uh, rabbit hole and got immersed with it and let it seep into my work and see could I do some interesting things with this unexpected genre influence and so if 
you need to shake it up, where are some places that are totally outside of the influences of your peers that maybe don't want to even directly influence, but there's just one little piece like the energy of Rage Against the Machine mixed with hip hop or the, the maximalist nature of these Marvel posters into a more modern, uh, simple approach to illustration. Lisa Frank, I don't know, maybe she needs to come back and you can embody her new coming to (laughs) her new, let's get to, let's get to step two. Just cut it. That's the one. Let's go to step two. Okay, I got one more from that episode with Andre 3000 and Rick Rubin. Props to Austin Cleon. He shared this link and that's what got me into it. I'd heard the podcast before, but I hadn't been following along. Missed this episode. Thanks to Austin Cleon for uh, refreshing my memory on this and getting me to dive deeper. Um, definitely recommend checking that episode out after you finish this episode. <laughs> oh, got some good stuff in store. Um, but but uh, the second prompt that came from that episode that I was obsessed with was Rick was kind of like coaching. I love calling Rick Rubin Rick. Like <laughs> I, Rick is one of my favorite names. Hey, Rick. Uh, Rick was coaching Andre, uh, to try to like, I think get, you know, get him back into just making some stuff as a regular practice. And he was just throwing some different ideas at him that he's used on other artists to get the gears turning when things are all locked up. Uh, and you know, that by the way, just has got me into this mindset about the mental gymnastics that is getting into the flow state, getting into play, getting into your best work. You know, I recently was working on a comic, uh, and I just was, I could not unlock clarity in it. I could not unlock that breakthrough feeling. And I just was all over the place, talking to a million people, drawing a million panels, like just, and it was just like, it's, it's, you can just feel it's not working. Right. And I was, and I've got started thinking about what are the mental gymnastics of getting into that play state? Because after days of just freaking out, trying a million things, not working. And then one morning I go into the studio and then boom, just playtime and it's flowing and it's just a relief and you're like, man, how did I forget to have fun in it? How did I forget to let it flow? How did I for- how did I forget? It's so second nature for me. And I, you know, just as this is freebie, not even from Rick Rubin, but uh, I think one of the keys for me is to realize that flow state comes after a period of struggle and tension almost always for me. And what that mindset allows me to do is get into is to it's a mindset that serves the best possible outcome of those mental gymnastics because it means when I'm in the tension, when I'm working in it's not working. You know, I used to make Songs. I don't know if I would call them music, but I used to make songs with friends, um, rap songs, folk songs. Um, I really was just writing lyrics and, and melodies and stuff. I don't even know if you could call them melodies. Um, I was having a good time, but there were times where I would make a song and it would just boom, just appear. 
It's like wrote for me, just happened. I recorded it as I was making it up and it was just like, man, what the heck was that? And then there were other times where it was like so laborious and painstaking and annoying. And there was something about knowing that my best stuff came just like fully formed. That meant when it was in the painstaking stuff that I was doubly hard because I knew it wasn't the best stuff. I knew it wasn't the free flow flowing stuff. And that made it even harder and even worse and even less satisfying. And I was even less inclined to do the work. But over time, I've realized that it requires, you know, those moments of free flowing, let go type of art almost only happen and most often consistently happen after making five songs that were just a a trudge in a, uh, in a, in a complete pain. And I've seen artists really, you know, open their hands and never allow themselves to dig deep into a project and struggle and wrestle with it because they know the good stuff comes when it's just free flowing. But if you don't understand the connection between the struggle and the free flow, you'll miss the pendulum, you'll miss the narrative, and you'll only get that free flow thing once in a blue moon. But you got to go through a lot of storms before you catch that lightning. And if you're aware of that, you can enjoy the storm. You can enjoy the struggle as part of the process as, yeah, I'm, get, I'm digging in. And when I'm struggling with a comic and I'm talking to a million people and I'm drawing a million panels and it's not working, instead of being like, oh, this isn't how the good ones happen, I think this is exactly the way the good ones happen. The good ones are always a result. Uh, like sometimes the good ones are a result. Sometimes the good episodes are a, a result of just you know, just freaking mind-numbing, bashing my head against the wall, trying a million things. It's not working. It's not flowing. Uh, And then after all of that crap, the real idea hits me. And so I've learned to just accept it. You know, I've seen people like uh, Sufjan and Kanye, these folks who we're going to get to later with some prompts, their best work was off the back of just trudging, just go, you know, trying a million things, pushing themselves. And I'm sure there was a lot of pain involved in that. But to me, it's like that slingshot idea where, yeah, a slingshot, the peak of a slingshot where all the action happens is where the let go happens, but it only happens after a period of holding on through the tension. And anyway, my point of all of that is, let's get back to Rick Rubin. We're going to have to go faster if we're going to through 20 of these, but um, we'll go back to Rick Rubin. And he's talking about how do you do the mental gymnastics of getting into that play state, getting just tricking your brain. Uh, it's so essential to getting your best work. And one of the prompts he uses is basically pretend you're ghostwriting for one of your heroes. And he tells Andre, why don't you just write a song? as if you're writing a song for Prince as a ghostwriter. Like, what would that song look like? And Andre actually went into uh, several examples where he had used that prompt for that, that prompt for some of his best work. Now, for me personally, that could look like, what would it look like to make work for Alexander Gerard if he was making work in 2020? You know, Deer Hunter, he, uh, Bradford Cox said their whole band came from 
uh, imagining what if pavement had never broken up and just kept making albums. I think this prompt works best for uh, ghostwriting for people who are no longer with us or have ended their or retired the, from their creative career and you're kind of pushing it forward. You're yes anding that back catalog and kind of using it as a prompt in a, um, you know, uh, an idea of like, oh, this is a person whose work I deeply resonate with. You know, I, I think that we're more alike than we give ourselves credit for. Um, I think that there's the, you know, those artists, that's what it's all about. That just give word to who you are in a way that you never imagined. And I can see, you know, I don't have any, um, psychopathic tendencies. <laughs> Where's this going? Um, <laughs> the just madness of, uh, this podcast might disagree with that, but I'm not Stan, you know, for Eminem. I don't have any like crazy fandoms to that degree but i do i think the reason that song resonated so much is you know when you find an artist and you're like oh we're the same this is me and i think using that as a leap pad springboard can get you shaking things up who are some artists that are no longer making work that you could pretend to ghostwrite from and see some totally unexpected ideas real quick add to that one we're not even moving on not even going to number three of the 20 of these um is ed sheeran uh his song shape of you is was actually because he's a songwriter as well i love the day we live in man i love like frank ocean and uh and ed sheeran and sia and all these songwriters that you know in the 90s would have been completely behind closed doors writing for these very pretty people i guess all these people are pretty anyway but you know ed sheeran looks like a normal cat um he looks like a cat uh like an actual cat um that was, <laughs> uh, I don't know what's happening. Um, but all these people, these songwriters have really come to the forefront. We love the people that are actually writing the songs. Like, I'm happy to live in that day. Um, and these people got their start there. And Ed still actually writes songs for other musicians. And the song Shape of You was originally, in his mind, written for Rihanna. And it was this is a perfect example of, and I think if you listen to that song, you can kind of hear it. But it got him working in a totally different style, got him out of his rut, got him into a new mindset. Um, and I think think, why does that have to be just musicians? Yeah. Rick, good call. I think that's a good encouragement for Andre. What do I know? I'm not a new, I'm not a musician, but I think the same could work for any type of art. What would it look like if you ghost wrote for one of your heroes? What would it look like if you did illustration for Rihanna, right? All right, let's go to number three. Number three, I guess we're on, is uh, Stephen King. Stephen King talks about write for one person. And I love this idea of, uh, and we're going to dive deeper into this in an episode in the future, but I've thought about how I'm just stealing from myself. Dude, why are you taking good stuff from future you so you have to think of more stuff later? I'm so quick to throw myself under the bus and just rip myself off um, in the moment for good, fresh content. Bam, bam, bam. 
real fresh content coming at you uh, about cornhole. Um, you didn't know cornhole could be fresh content, but look, here we are. Um, here's the thing. If I was like, I want to be a professional cornholer, do you know what cornhole is? <laughs> it's a, uh, it's this Midwestern game where it's beanbag toss and you toss it onto a board. You get like four shots, four beanbags. Uh, and if I was trying to be a pro and I got up to the plate, I don't think there's a plate in cornhole. Um, you, and there usually is a plate. That's the thing about cornhole is you can actually hold a plate of sausages and meat and cooked things on 4th of July and play at the same time. That's the beauty of this, of Midwestern sports. Um, we have bowling as well. You can drink straight up, get better while you're drinking and throwing a ball. Um, Anyway, that's the only plates in cornhole. But if I did that and I had my four bean bags and I just threw all four at the same time, like, you know, I'm not going to have much accuracy of throwing four bean bags at the same time. I might, you know, it's a good way to like scatter shot and maybe get one or two things on the board, but none of them are going to be a hole in one because I'm not going to be able to have that kind of accuracy. And the same goes for your creativity. When you're trying to make something, it's really hard to make something great that really hits home for hundreds, thousands, millions of people, right? It's distracting. It's ridiculous. It's not the way a pro does it. What you want to do is tap into the taste buds of yourself. And one of the best ways to do that, get out of your own head with those mental gymnastics, is to tap into the taste buds of someone who has similar taste to you and just make something for them. You know, Anne Lamott talks about she gets stuck. She'll just write as if she's writing a letter to her brother. Or uh, the, uh, Stephen King will write a book to a friend in mind. And for me, I have, over the past couple of years, made a bunch of stuff that's just for my son Hugo because we like the same stuff. Like on Zelda Breath of the Wild, we're both bonkers for the fierce deity Link costume. He puts on this like dark costume and his eyes light up red and he just looks so BA. And I, I draw a bunch of stuff just to be like, Hugo, check that out. And I know what he's gonna like. Like we made up our own Link that was Cosmic Link who could shoot dark matter energy blast and has this cool like crazy cosmic-y stuff floating from his hands, kind of like a Goku mixed with Zelda. And I just know that we both like that kind of jam. And if you look in my work, there's a lot of characters with some weird dark energy emanating from their hands and body and minds and their fierce deity link vibes. If you don't know Zelda, you don't know what I'm talking about. Just trust me. My son's into it. I'm into it. It's unlocked some work that I didn't expect. So quit throwing all four bean bags at the same time. Pick up the plate, eat that bratwurst, then set your targets for some precision. Just like Stephen King does. Play cornhole like Stephen King. Number four comes from Will Smith, and it's exploit a pattern. We've talked a little bit about this concept on the podcast before. It comes from John A. Cuff's book, 
finish. That's where I discovered this idea. But Will Smith, back in the day, when he was first just fresh as a prince, uh, those days he got into a little bit of tax problem. Uh, tax problems where he owed a bunch of money that he didn't have. And uh, him and his manager, I think, just sat down and said, let's never let this happen again. How can we make sure that finances aren't a problem? And what they did, I just, oh, this does it for me, man. I don't know why. I love pattern recognition. I love strategy. And they sat down and they looked at the highest grossing films of all time. And they noticed that almost every single one of them had some sci-fi fantasy creature and a romance. And he, Will, just decided he was going to take as many of those projects as possible. And it, that pattern is so crazy. I went and looked up his top grossing films. Nine out of the top ten have the, some kind of sci-fi fantasy creature and it's a love story. Independence Day, Men in Black, I Am Legend, Hancock, like the list goes on and on and on. Like this pattern has been the defining pattern of Will Smith's career and why we're talking about him right now. Uh, and, and I think that if you've never done this, I'm yelling at you now. Give it a shot. It's fun. It's interesting. Take your, and and by the way, taking some time to try to recognize a pattern, you will see things that you never realized mattered. You'll notice things that have been a blind spot for you. Just little tweaks that you could make, little breakthroughs. You know, one way this uh, came out in my work, um, I noticed that back in the day, like five or six years ago, that's not back in the day, five or six years ago, um, Matisse was having such a huge influence on illustration. And I think that really came from uh, someone who I think is a legend in the field, Olympia Zagnoli. I think she changed the face of illustration. Uh, I think we all owe her props for the influence that she's had on modern illustration. Uh, she's an Italian illustrator phenomenal work just freaking rocked the uh, illustration world probably about eight years ago and uh, heavily influenced by Matisse's figures and I went to a show at the Tate Modern in London I just as soon as I started saying that I turned into a different guy who I hated I don't know <laughs> so I had to change my voice so I went to the Tate Modern in London and it was, it was, I, who is that? Well, I don't like that voice. Um, but uh, I went with my brother-in-law um, and we went into this huge exhibit on Matisse. And this was probably about five years ago, six years ago. And um, they just had all of these works, but there were tons of his abstract stuff and the leaves and the flowers. And at the time that 
influence hadn't really hit the design and illustration world. And I was like, man, I know that this, these figures have been a big influence on things. I am so surprised that these abstract things really haven't hit. And I, you know, I think it influenced a little bit of my work. I think you can see some of that in there, although I don't do a lot of abstract stuff, but I'm sure you know that stuff hit like gangbusters, baby. Like it's all over the place. Um, and I think there's just something interesting about taking a body of work, comparing, contrasting, looking for unexpected patterns and using those patterns as prompts to do stuff that's not done right now. You know, it's not that I was just like, oh, these figures are really trendy right now. Let me explore that. I was trying to explore a pattern and do something totally different with it. You can take the information that says all these top grossing films are romance plus sci-fi creature and then do the opposite of that. You don't have to use that information in the most obvious way. We've talked about this a few times. This is kind of a different freebie prompt, um, but it, the comedian that would go to audiences, go to speak at colleges, do stand up there and say, what's the one topic I'm just not allowed to touch that will just, you know, totally ruin it for me with this crowd and get that information and then start with that topic. So you don't even have to do the obvious thing with these patterns. But that raw information, that raw data can be an interesting springboard. Surely was for Aladdin's genie, Will Smith, as my kids only know him as, tragically. Number five, let's call number five, do you love me? No, but that's a really nice ski mask. Uh, that... <laughs> Some of you know that's a line from Dumb and Dumber. It's from a fantasy of Jim Carrey's where it cuts in the middle of a joke and all we hear is the punchline and everyone dies laughing. It's one of my favorite lines of all time. I have no idea why. Um, but number five is take a something you hear a stranger say and make a piece of work about it. Linda Berry in her book, Making Comics, uh, uses this as a prompt. We're going to use another one of her prompts later. Um, another artist that does this to great effect is Andy Reminter. He put he draws in his sketchbook and posts on Instagram all the time. He's a great artist. I'm a big fan of this guy. Um, and uh, <laughs> we're friends online. Um, I don't know why I'm... <laughs> I feel like I have to tell you that. Um, but... Because I'm insufferable. That's why. Uh, anyway, he does a lot of work based on that. One of my favorite things I ever drew was these two characters uh, having a conversation that I heard while I was riding my bike. And, and these two bikers went past me. And one of them said, really? And the other one said, no. <laughs> what is this guy just told this huge story? And, uh, and the guy's like, Really? And he's like, no, that didn't happen whatsoever. Um, so I love this, like using these split second, uh, you know, minor things that you hear from strangers that can be misconstrued and writing a narrative out of it, coming up with something totally different. Just go and if you're stuck, go in public, go people watch, go to the mall, just catch little snippets of conversation and use those as unusual prompts for comics and songs and what have you make up the rest. I love that weirdness. Hope you do too. Do you love me? No, but that's really a nice ski mask. That's number five. We got through that one real fast. 
So I'm a huge fan of the show I Think You Should Leave on Netflix. Uh, I'm a little bit sensitive about admitting that because I think it's really a divisive show. It's a comedy show, sketch comedy, um, a la Saturday Night Live uh, and what have you, um, Mad TV. I can name others, believe me. I know other examples of sketch comedy. Um, Kids in the Hall, I think that was sketch comedy. I never watched it. Don't send me emails. Um, but Tim Robinson has a show called I Think You Should Leave. It's a Netflix original. And uh, it's it's just, it's really insane. And I love it. You know, as lots of sketch comedy, not all of the skits hit me um, the same level, but some of them I laughed harder than I've laughed in years. And uh, the prompt from this is a lot of those sketches were things that got turned down when he was a writer at Saturday Night Live. Things that he was just like, man, this is so funny. And I, so this ended up being a prompt I didn't expect that I just thought of right now. But one of the things I'll do is take a sketch that a client turned down and make it anyway. Because I'm like, that was good. I know it was better than the other idea. And I'm just going to make it anyway for personal work. That's a freebie. That's not even part of the 20. Uh, my real prompt from Tim Robinson is, uh, I guess there's this thing at Saturday Night Live, the first day that they have with a guest, they all come up with fake sketch ideas, and nobody seems to understand. I've heard John Mulaney talk about it too. No one knows why. Uh, I don't know if like there's just something weird about, you know, there's supposedly... Um, they like procrastinate to the very last minute and then they do all nighter on Tuesday or something, um, which doesn't seem very last minute to me because, you know, it's on Saturday, the show. But um, they, they do these fake sketch ideas that they don't intend to use whatsoever. And I think that there's this trash idea thing that happens that's so much more playful if you are willing to not edit yourself, if you're willing to waste time. I tweeted the other day, now I'm talking about my tweets, again, insufferable, but I tweeted the other day something about how, um, don't you just instantly shut off when somebody says that? Oh, I actually, uh, I had a tweet the other day that was quite interesting that's worth repeating here in conversation, um, but I said, if you are making work, if you're making creative work and you don't feel like you're wasting your life, wasting completely waste of time, are you really creating stuff? Like there is something about creativity that at its best is just frivolous. And I think the reason that is, is because it doesn't have to do with our survival. It's not surviving, it's about thriving. It appeals to not our lizard brain, not our monkey brain, but our human brain. This part of life that, you know, this idea of like uh, Winston Churchill talking about, you know, shall we cut the funding for arts and humanities uh, because to win this war, like, but if we do that, then why are we fighting this war? Why is there anything to live for? Because it's that frivolous, superfluous, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but it's that part of life, that creative stuff. That's just throwaway. We don't need it. But it, on a deeper soul level, we do. And for me, it helps to try to make trash. 
I've told this story before, but um, I'll say it a million more times if it helps you unlock some of your greatest work. The Indie Rock Coloring Book, first big break in my creative career, my first big side quest. Um, that idea came from pitching a project for a school project. And I had my first idea that I knew was my best idea. Uh, and I... And I wanted to come up with, I had to come up with four other pitches because that was a requirement. And so I thought, I got, I already got the idea. I'll come up with three terrible ideas. So they pale in comparison to the one that I already know that I want to do. Very student thinking and creativity of wanting to just go with your first idea. I think there's some desperation there of like, I already got it. It's fine. I figured it out. Um, and, and, you know, the brainstorming other ideas feels like a waste or it feels like you're saying I, maybe what I already thought of wasn't good. Um, there's all kinds of mental barriers for why we don't want to come up with stuff that's, that's trash. But as an, it's such a good um, thing. For instance, I have 20 points in this episode, but my attempt was to come up with 30 and I only got to 26 or 27, but then I cut six or seven that I thought, you know what? Fluff, superfluous <laughs> to this episode of very hard hitting uh, stuff. Um, but, but seriously, I think that's where you get the good stuff. Sufjan's magnum opus, um, all kinds of words I'm using that I don't know, um, was Illinois come on feel the Illinois and it's like a 20 track album and they made like 50 tracks for that thing I think that's a sure fire way Carly Rae Jepsen her new album dedicated I think she made like a hundred songs for this 12 song album I don't know how many songs are on that album not a hundred she made a bunch that she didn't use. But this <clears throat> this mental gymnastics of making stuff you know you're in trash, making fake sketches like Tim Robinson. One of the ones he talks about uh, is they came up with this idea for a sketch where it's the cool guy's life jacket and it's a leather life jacket. Um, <laughs> terrible idea, but I still want to see it. I hope that they do it on season two of I Think You Should Leave. Uh, and on that note, I will leave to the next one hopefully a quick one uh public domain take some stuff from the public domain you know you just saw the new little women came out from uh filmmaker greta gerwig and I, yeah i i thought i knew how to say your name and i did uh, but when I'm doing this public podcast, often I will have to go like research. How do you pronounce this person's name? Just to make sure that I'm doing it somewhat right. And uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos that are like pranks on random people where they tell you how to pronounce the name or the word totally ridiculously wrong? So I started imagining uh, different ways you could say Greta Gerwig and maybe it's uh, Greta Jerwi, Jerwi, the G's silent. You didn't know. Um, but anyway, Little Women, Greta Jerwi, just new movie. I haven't seen it. My wife and my daughter saw it without me. I cried at the trailer, so I was very jealous. But I had to watch the other children. Um, I'm super pumped to go see it. That's mainly what this point is about. But back in the day, I did a project where I did screen printed posters inspired by book covers from the public domain. Uh, and if you're getting stuck in a rut, one thing you could do is write a song 
inspired by Alice in Wonderland, inspired by Wizard of Oz. You know, right now, uh, I, you know, I did that for a piece last year, one of my favorite pieces of all time for the podcast, uh, because I was inspired by uh, diving into the themes of movies and the theme of Wizard of Oz. I think I either read it in one of the plot books that I've, I've read a few, so I can't really place it. I apologize. I also saw, um, I think his name's Brian McDonald. Um, we're going to hopefully talk about him more on the podcast. He works for Belief Agency. Um, and uh, he, he also talked about the theme of Wizard of Oz is you have everything you need. Uh, because Dorothy has the secret, the slippers that will take her home the entire plot of the movie. The scarecrow has the brain the entire movie. The, uh, you know, the rest of them. But this idea that every, you have everything you need. What you need to do is go on the journey to figure out how to use it. You need to go on the journey so that you can believe it to activate what's already inside of you. And I love that. It's a great jumping off point. And it comes from the public domain. So you can steal it, baby. Um, Cite it. Tell people about it. But I think that's uh, really great. And actually, it it taps into my deeper beliefs of our oneness and the true nature of creativity and how it would be at its best if we could just share. That's why I like folk art so much, as I feel like folk art is um, kind of a culture's illustration style that has been perfected and, uh, you know, humanized and and, uh, adapted over time to make this simple stuff that hits home. There's just this sharing and you can... uh, Uh, supersede the copyright rule by tapping into the public domain and using that as a prompt for, you know, there's these kids books out, uh, board books that take things like Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid and I don't know, whatever, Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, and turns them into like color books and shape books and number books for board books. What are the ways that you could utilize stuff in the public domain as a prompt like Greta Sherwe? Man, if I was actually brave, I would have just went with it and not even told you and would have said, have you seen the new Little Women by filmmaker Greta Sherwe? And just not even addressed it. Um, but I don't have that kind of uh, insane antisocial lack of social constraint attitude about life. Um, but number eight is David Allen. Remember we were talking about getting influenced by different genres. I'm doing it right here, right now. David Allen from the business world. He's like a productivity czar if you will, kind of like Jim Halpert. Um, no, Stanley. Stanley was the productivity uh, czar for Idris Elba. Uh, has a little stint, little cameo on The Office, for those of you that aren't Office fans, um, as Charles... I know this is why you listen to the podcast, for Office trivia. Um you you call in, uh, tweet to me. I'm not going to look it up on Google. What's his name? Charles something. I don't know, but he plays boss and he says, oh, Lord, we don't have time for this. Uh, straight to the good stuff. David Allen, productivity czar, business guy, has this great line that says, brains are for having ideas, not holding them. And he does this amazing thing where he 
takes these people he coaches, he gets a stack of computer paper, and he says, screw the environment. Let's just write on this whole stack of paper. I would use Post-it notes, David. There's some productivity czarship for you. Anyway, he takes this stack of paper, and he just has his client brain dump everything to do with their business, every idea, every task, just every single thing uh, that's in that person's brain on each one on a different sheet of paper. And he puts that in an inbox and then he has an outbox. And when that thing is completed, that thing is made, he moves it from the inbox to the outbox. And the same goes for you have over time in your groove, in your rut, come up with so many ideas that you never explored, that you f completely forgot about. If you will just take a minute. I did this recently. I wrote on my windows like a true creative genius. I was just so unorthodox. Screw whiteboards. I was going right on the windows in my office. And I just brain dumped, I created some categories, you know, books, podcasts, events, uh, illustrations, da, da 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 And I just brain dumped every single thing that was in my brain. And I can't tell you how free and open and creative it made me feel. But you could do this just for ideas, just for stuff that's been knocking around your head, stuff you've been carrying for a long time. Just empty that out. I think sometimes we just get clogged up. For me personally, I have this experience where if I'm not letting these ideas pass through me, there gets to be this blockage, spiritually speaking, that happens and all of a sudden nothing new is coming because I'm holding on to all this stuff. So if you'll proverbially open your hands and let those things pass through you, this is getting gross and graphic, uh, just by putting it all on post-it notes, not sheets of paper like David Allen, the the guy who just says, screw the environment um, and make a big old stack of them. And maybe half of them you go through and you're like, I'm not even putting these in my inbox because they're just trash, but take those and set them on fire. And you'll see just how open and free flowing and clear and uh, regular that you'll feel moving on. Number nine, again, unorthodox in terms of genre, let's take a creative prompt from Soren Kierkegaard. Here's a uh, philosopher, super interesting character from, I believe, the 1800s, just a total weirdo. One of the things he did, he put this book out called Either Or. Uh, Elliot Smith went on to rip him off, had an album of the same title, completely unoriginal. What a hack. That's terrible to say. Well, I was just kidding. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh lordy. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard had a book called Either Or. And the first half of the book, and, and he, he often used uh, pen names, aliases, so that he could later just completely disagree with himself. And I, oh, that does it for me. Because for me, philosophy, uh, this is a, a postmodern idea, I believe, is this idea that philosophy isn't about the you know, seeking of truth because we're unable to even know truth based on our limited perception of reality. But philo philosophy is just about concept creation. Just 
coming up with new ideas that help us look at the world in different ways that could be helpful, um, that get us out of our rut or our groove, if you will. And uh, that kind of philosophy is really helpful. Uh, and I think Soren, uh, my man Soren, did some interesting stuff there where he would take a book, this book, either or, he would write under one name for the first half and another name the second half. And he literally just wrote from two different perspectives, arguing with each other. And he didn't resolve or say who was right or wrong, just as a uh, mental exercise, thought experiment, he took completely two different sides of a debate of how you should live your life. Uh, I think it was like morally or amorally, and just the, the pros and cons of both sides. And, and just argued with himself under different names. And I love this because I'm a big believer in this idea that creativity is all about choices. You know, I had Yoni Wolf, one of my favorite musicians of all time. His band Y did the theme song to this. If they didn't make it specially for it. It's just one of their songs, but he let me use it for the show. The first song you hear on this. And uh, he talks about how every song that he writes is just a tree of decisions. You know, you decide to like go with this riff and that's kind of your tree trunk. And then on this verse, that's a branch. And as you go out onto that branch, you're making these binary decisions to dart off this way and dart off that way. And eventually all those micro decisions create a song that is a tree or maybe the branches are, uh, songs within the album of the tree, but each individual note that you pick each individual word that you put down in the lyrics, those are micro decisions of which, you know, should it be a B C or D. And so it's your creative intuition that allows you to make those choices. And I think one interesting prompt could be go back to a recent piece that you've made and make the opposite argument. You decided that the right thing to do with that was going to be a white background, make it a black background, like just go and argue with yourself creatively, take the different point of view, embody, you know, I love this idea and I want to explore it further on the podcast in the future that this, the uh, multitudes that we contain. I love this idea like uh, Jim Carrey, when he was making the movie Man on the Moon, embodied Andy Kaufman to such a degree that he realized Jim Carrey was a character that he had made up and that the elasticity of the human ego in embodiment is so rubbery and so moldable. It's like that old school putty. I, th I love to think about how Hugh Jackman has Wolverine and P.T. Barnum within him. You know, one is just a flamboyant showman and the other one is this B.A. intense guy who says bub all the time. I like that he contains both of those people and so do you. Either or. Argue with yourself. Take a piece and make the antithesis of it. I'll... I'll uh, roll straight into what I had as number uh, 10, which is opposite typecast. It's a similar idea. We'll bottle these up. Maybe we'll have 21 points just since that one feels like a freebie. I don't know. We'll see. Stay tuned to see if we get to 21. Um, Jim Carrey. I love this. I go back to Jim Carrey. 
I love this idea that when they made Eternal Sunshine, that everybody they cast, they tried to opposite typecast them. They tried to opposite typecast Jim Carrey as not the extrovert who's a zany, but the introvert who barely speaks, who doesn't, who's very uh, introverted. And then Kate Winslet as this manic, crazy American person rather than the, the proper uh, fancy pants that she was in Titanic. So what would it look like for you to opposite typecast yourself in a role? What would it look like if an art director, I love this idea of like, you know, once in a lifetime and for a lot of us, never in a lifetime, will we get to work with such a brilliant visionary director that they would be able to opposite typecast us. We'll be lucky if we get typecasted enough to call it a creative career. But what would it look like if you play the role of the visionary art director in your life and see something completely opposite to everything you've ever done and explore that elasticity in your own humanity and embody both P.T. Barnum as well as Wolverine, bub. I'm uncomfortable saying the word bub. It's not natural. Every time I'd read the comics with Wolverine and he's saying bub every eighth word, I'm like... I just can't even read this. It just doesn't, I don't have the elasticity in my humanity to embody a person that says the word bub. Calls them, I'm gonna start calling people that. Just try it. Opposite typecast myself. Bub. That last one we'll, we'll call number 10 from Charlie Kaufman, who is the writer of Eternal Sunshine and Adaptation and being John Malkovich. It's one of my, he's one of my heroes. Number 11, uh, I hope that I'm not giving you so much information and wish that it would overwhelm you. Uh, I don't like to overwhelm you on this podcast. Get Shut up, Andrew Miller. That's who that character is. Uh, here's Andy J. Pizza uh, back with, so with the fire hose of overwhelming amounts of creative jazz to freaking jazz you 8,000% so you can freaking light yourself on rocket fuel fire. Uh, I love, I looked at the mid roll, the little ad that I just read and I loved when I was in Andrew Miller, uh, fake opposite typecasting version of myself, like the, the little wave form on my app is all like really small. And then as soon as I transition back to myself, it like triples in size. Um, anyway, Opposite typecasting, another, just a little add to that one. Uh, Jordan Peele, I think, is a great example of that. Everybody knew him as the comedy guy from Key and Peele. And then he just freaking flips the script with these horror films and just completely outdoes any expectation we ever had for him. Eat that crap, Pitchfork. You thought he was at his potential peak at 24. Eat that. You have no idea. Ariana Grande is about to freaking drop uh, a Screamo album that's going to blow everything she's ever done out of the water. You don't know. And so are you. Your expectations are limitless. Let's get to the next prompt. Okay. Number 11, Linda Berry. Again, we're going to talk about Linda Berry. This is Start With Wonder. One of the prompts from her new books, Making Comics. Um... It's just one book uh, is she several times says, what's something that you've been wondering about? What's something that you've been let's wrestling with as a question. 
and like using art to explore that. I love this idea because it, it taps into this idea. You know, one of these screen rotting books I read, I think it was 21 plots. Um, and they talk about how movies that are made with an answer in mind, like this is the truth, this is the right path, are propaganda. That's the idea. Like art that has an answer is propaganda. But art that respects its viewer and asks them a question is so much more powerful. And I think this leap pad of a prompt where you're starting with what's just something you haven't figured out? What's something that you're wondering about, you're wrestling with? Maybe it's an existential question. Maybe it's a moral question. Maybe like what, what are the things that are eating you up right now? And how could you use your artwork as a tool to work through some of that stuff, to pose that question to other people, to let other people chime in and chew on this thing and you chew on it as you're making it? I love that idea. Number 12 comes from a recent guest, a friend of mine, as well as a creative hero of mine, Joey Ellis, uh, creator of Leaky Timbers. And we talked about on that episode how Leaky Timbers, this graphic novel that he has out from Scholastic, uh, this whole world was prompted by the, the, the movie Follow That Bird, uh, which is about Big Bird, Sesame Street. And there's this moment on that film, that piece of cinematic mastery, where they zoom out of Sesame Street. And you realize, like, this is just one street of many other streets. Uh, and I don't remember who I was telling this to, but someone, one of my friends was like, oh, you mean so Leaky Timbers is on like Flaxseed Street, uh, a, like a different, a different seed street, uh, and that there's all these different streets and that what would those worlds look like? And so here's another whole idea. If you're a crazy Star Wars fan, what is a planet that we've never seen in that world, in that universe, and what stories play out there? They might not have anything to do with the force. Like I'm guessing there's just like some regular folks just going about their day trading in the marketplace. Maybe you want to do like a wolf on Wall Street, but it's a Wookiee on Wall Street uh, story. Has nothing to do with this mumbo jumbo spiritual garbage. The stuff that I like. Uh, but you might not like it. Go f <laughs> zoom out. Tell a story about Flaxseed Street. What are the things that touch you on a deep level that you want to explore from a totally different angle than your heroes have? It's a great prompt. Love that one from my man, Joey Ellis. Number 13 comes from Carson Ellis, big illustration hero of mine. Uh, She's been doing these prompts on her Instagram. She calls them Transmundane Tuesdays. And it's part of workshops that she does with students where she has these three categories of papers and she's picking out these little, they're kind of the size of like a uh, fortune cookie paper uh, fortune. And 
she pulls out three of these and you have to make a drawing that encapsulates these three categories. I did one on my Instagram. You can see it at Andy J pizza at Andy J pizza on Instagram. And, uh, the one that I did was upside down arms akimbo, which just means like hands on your hips with your arms out. And, uh, covered in animal skins and I didn't actually end up using all three parts of this prompts this prompt that's a beautiful thing baby you can take these leap pads and do whatever you want with them you don't have to do it exactly as they intended you to in fact I recommend when I work with students to subvert the premise that's what any good creative does like Ryan Johnson uh oh Boop, boop. another freebie of a prompt coming in and uh this number ryan johnson talks about how if you look at his movies you know his new movie knives out who it's a whodunit film and he subverted that genre he took the expectations and then flipped them on its head you can do that with these prompts okay so i didn't end up using all three prompts for this drawing from carson ellis uh, but what i did do was upside down and covered in animal skins and i turned that into a little narrative where the reason this character's upside down covered in animal skins is because he's covered in a raccoon skin and a fox skin but he's tied up upside down a la i think they do that in star wars the third one return of the jedi where they like tie up people on a stick and they're carrying them around i don't freaking know but they <laughs> they carried this hunter upside down tied him to a stick and this raccoon and this fox are carrying him away getting revenge on this hunter and i i really liked that came up with a complete narrative that in my mind that had never existed from this unusual thing and i'm just making you aware i think you know i'm challenging you songwriters to make more stuff Okay, I feel like for whatever reason, I think because songwriting maybe is more deeply connected to the patterns and, and processes of our inner workings and souls, that it's just a toil, the mental gymnastics that it takes to make music. And I'm just challenging you to make more songs, make more trash ideas, take more prompts, take some of these ideas and, uh, and, and use them. Go use Carson Ellis's Transmundane Tuesdays and write a little ditty, baby. It doesn't have to be produced and mastered. Throw it online. Let us taste that nectar. Sheesh, musicians. Anyway, I appreciate it. I think it's a cool prompt. She's got a bunch of them on there. If you get stuck, it's a good place to start. Number 14, use some juxtaposition a la Klassen. I don't, how many times have I said a la? If I say it again, turn this podcast off. Uh, John Klassen, love this guy. I talked about this on a recent episode, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into it. Uh, he talked about how for him, he knows he has a picture book when he taps into the essence of what is great about that medium, which is telling stories with words and pictures and where either the words or the pictures depart from each other, where the words are saying one thing, like the bear's having a great day, but the bear is clearly having a terrible day. 
And that juxtaposition, this lie, just starts to create this level of humor and interest and does something that only picture books can. I noticed this recently. I read a book to my daughter called Rosie Takes a Walk, super famous kids book. And the words in the book are all just about a hen taking a walk. You know, she likes to take a walk through this part and the windmill and this thing. All the while, the pictures are showing a fox is chasing her, like stalking her and keeps getting hit with a rake, a bag of flour, what have you, getting into all of these problems. But the words never address it. And it makes this like humorous thing for kids to see something totally different. Another great example is Sam and Dave Dig a Hole by Mac Barnett and illustrated by John Klassen, where they're digging a hole and all of the words aren't addressing what's happening in the pictures. And it's so interesting. And even if you're a musician, this applies to you. So don't think you're getting off easy like, oh, I don't have to make a song. After all, stop in your tracks there bite your tongue, turn around, repent, and listen to the good news of this prompt for you. Think about Sting, okay? Think about the song uh, uh, Every Breath, Every I, I'm mixing it up with the P. Diddy one now, but every breath I take, every move I make, I'll be watching you. Uh, it's a stalker song, but it sounds like a love song. Could you make a major chord? Yeah, I know a major chord, even though I don't play any music. Happy song. Sounds happy, but underneath the veneer, there's something sinister happening. Could you make a screamo sinister song that's in your face? That's about daisies, daffodils, and ducklings. Happy times. How could you make an image that looks like a great old time but says something super dark and sinister? Use some juxtaposition, baby. And, uh, yeah. Number 15 comes from a good friend of mine, Joe, Joseph Gordon Levitt. You know how we're super tight now that he was on the podcast. Not true. Lovely gentleman. <laughs> we are not uh, tight whatsoever, but I'm so lucky that he got to be on the show and I'm still bragging about it. Sorry about that. Please keep listening. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had a TED Talk recently, and it's all about instead of trying to get attention with your work, use your creative work to pay attention. And I love this idea you know, I think uh, artists, sensitive souls who have so much capacity for love and caring, you know, have these passions for simple things, these particular things that get overlooked that, uh, you know, people miss out on, you know, smelling the roses and what have you. And I love the idea that your work can pay homage to things that you think deserve more attention. You know, for my wife, that looks like her garden. It looks like the majesty of a sprout popping out of the soil. Like right now, she's growing some arigula. For you British people, you call it rocket. One of my favorite green leaves to eat. Uh, 
she's she's making work about the pot on her windowsill and the majesty and the glory of this thing, new life just bursting out from the soil. It's pure miracle. And we take it for granted, but it moves my wife. And so she wants to spend hours and hours and hours sewing and making textiles that celebrate, that pay attention and give a, uh, the amount of attention that it is deserved of to this thing that matters so much to her. And what happens when you do that, when you take that level of attention and care to something when you put thousands of hours and thousands of stitches into a canvas, you get people that I, I call it the, uh, the Forrest Gump effect. It's like nobody cares about a guy running around the block. But if he runs for days and weeks across the country, you start asking him, you start paying attention. What does this guy know? What is he up to? The same goes for your art. You can take something mundane that's ruling your life, that's, that's mesmerizing your life, that's making your life hell, that's you know something that nobody else is paying attention to. Pay close attention. Pay tons of attention to that thing. And if you do that, other people will too. Uh, Kate Bingham and Burr, I love her example. Back in the day, she did this project where she got thousands of dollars in debt, credit card debt, like $25,000 in credit card debt, she decided to punish herself by making herself illustrate by hand carbon copies of her credit card statements and posting them online. Just drawing her every single one of her credit card statements until she paid off that debt. And uh, it, it's, it, it's this paying attention painstakingly to the things that rule our lives that nobody else is paying attention to. For me, it's dreams. Every time I would say to someone, man, I had the craziest dream last night. Instant snooze fest. No one wants to hear about your dreams past, Andy. Shut up. But I came up with this idea. It was one of the first things that led to Invisible Things, um, which is a big part of my work now, called The Dream That Stayed for Breakfast. And it was a personified dream into a character, anthropomorphized and personified the idea of a dream. And it was about that feeling that when a dream stays for breakfast, when a dream sticks with you your whole day and kind of creates a surreal malaise or melancholy over your day. And I love that feeling and it matters to me, but nobody will listen to me unless I spend hours drawing it and articulating it. If it matters that deep to you, you owe it to give metaphor and analogy and time to it so other people can understand why it matters. So instead of trying to get attention, take a leaf from my boy Joe's book and pay attention. Number 16 uh, comes from book coach Azul Taranez. He, I hired him for a few sessions to coach me on a book that I've been working on. Uh, he's worked with Pat Flynn and uh, 
uh, other uh, best-selling authors, and it was really helpful. Like I'd never hired a coach before, and it did so many things for me that I couldn't have done for myself. And one of the things is he gave me this prompt where he said, I'm going to have you start writing and the only rule is you can't stop writing. You can literally write, um, 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 but the rule is you cannot stop and going to put it to a timer for five minutes. You're just going to write. And I thought, what am I going to say? Well, I don't know what to write. Like this is sprung on me and go. I started writing and all of a sudden I got into all of this unconscious material that was floating around in there that I hadn't even realized. This is similar to uh, the artist's way, the, uh, the daily journaling where every day you wake up and you do your morning pages and just unleash three pages of stuff. I can't tell you how many ideas on the podcast have come from non-edited you know, uh, first draft, just like every word that I ca came to me was about vomiting. Then I don't like that word or idea at all. I'm kind of phobic about it. Um, but just, you know, putting it down on the page without thinking about it and just exploring tangents and again, wasting some time that way and getting to some stuff. And it, what I would do is just Give yourself a little timer, depending on your medium, it might be a different timer, um, and explore one rule you have to be making. My buddy, uh, Colin Rigsby, he is from the band Vespertine, used to be in the band House for Heroes. Um, some of you guys might be fans of these bands. Uh, he lives next door to me, um, and our kids are friends, and we've got to have tons of chats about what it means to make your best creative work. And one thing that he said to me the other day was he will, he realizes when he's walking out the house, maybe his kids are getting ready, putting on their shoes. If he siddle, siddles down <laughs> and noodles on siddles and noodles on the piano, when he thinks I don't have any time, just mess around. Some of his best stuff has come from that. And so he's learned to in those transistory, liminal spaces to just start noodling just for the heck of it when he knows he's only got two or three minutes to mess around. And so how could you set up a timer? Only rule is you got to draw, you got to make, you got to play, you got to write for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, can't stop. Keep putting pencil to page and see what happens. Number 17 Gary Goleman, he put out 365 days of stand-up comedy tips on his Twitter. He's a famous stand-up comedian, super funny dude, and uh, he put out a new tip every day, and one of his tips was just go back through old notebooks that you completely forgot about and see if there's any gold that you left back there. One thing that I've found when I'm going through my old sketchbooks is that I was actually a lot better than I realized I was. That was also a lot worse in a, a bunch of ways, but there's a ton of stuff that was so, especially the stuff that was really in my voice. Uh, because I think early days, your voice is emanating through everything you do. 
but you don't have the confidence or the ability to notice when it's happening. And I think I look back through my old sketchbooks and I see a bunch of stuff. Some, most of the stuff that I ignored was the stuff that's closest to the things that I'm making today. It was in some way or another, those ruby red slippers were there the whole time, baby. And so you go back through the sketchbook and you find some pieces I, and, and maybe those become the prompts for stuff you make today. So that's it. Simple one. Go back through old sketchbooks. Go back through old notebooks. Go back through old recordings. Whatever medium you have and listen to sift through the garbage and find your Aladdins, your diamonds in the rough, if you will. Number 18 can come from uh, Lord or it can come from Kanye. But it's uh, tap into some synesthesia. Even if you don't have synesthesia, imagine that you do and use that as a prompt. If you don't know, synesthesia is the phenomenon which uh, your senses get overlapped. So Kanye and Lord claim... I sound so skeptical. I'm not skeptical of it. I have my own little minor versions of synesthesia. But claim to see music as colors. These weird creative people. Um, I love it. I'm into it. You know, one of my my first kids book uh, was published by a small art independent publisher out of Switzerland. Um, And they put out my book. It's called Something to Believe in. And it was really through this prompt of synesthesia where I was saying, what would it look like if you could believe in a color? And each character believes in the color of themselves, but the main character doesn't have a color yet. They hasn't found his color. So he's just like taking on board everybody else's ideas. And, you know, the first uh, first characters like believe in red. It's the power of love. And then he meets this blue character and the blue characters like don't believe in red. That's the color of blood. Read believe in blue. It's the color of sky. Then he meets a yellow character and so on and so forth. Uh, and, you know, interestingly enough, the moral of that story, this is another aside, give you a little, uh-oh, ring the alarm. We got another another free prompt. How many prompts we got here? Wait, I think we have more like 27 uh, freebies for your 2020. It's just bursting at the seams with creative prompts. Uh, I think about story as potentially thought experiments. Your brain is testing your heart with truth. Like when you tell a narrative, the only way to make it work, I think, is when you start, you have to, it has to be true. You know, the characters have to be motivated by the right things. They have to be believable. It has to work. And a story is almost a thought experiment to say, to ask yourself a question. We kind of touched on this earlier today. But for me, I think that book's so interesting because at the time, I feel like the moral of that something to believe in story was contrary to some ideas that I held true at the time. But they played out in this work. I excavated my own philosophies and I think I poked some holes in my own ideologies. And so uh, that's a whole other thing. But synesthesia, maybe just ask yourself, what does a Tuesday smell like? Paper clips? That's that's what I think Tuesday smells like. Ask some weird questions and let that be your guide. 
I've been drawing invisible things since 2008. Uh, what does that mean? It means drawing things you can't see, showing things that are impossible to see with your eyes. That's synesthesia. Use it. All right, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to give you a two for one. I, uh, we've only got two left, but I've got at least three more that I'm desperate to share with you. So don't tell anybody that we actually have more than 20 prompts on this thing. That totally breaks down the 2020 vibe of this episode. But number 19, Brian Froud. Uh, he's the illustrator behind the concept art in the universe behind Dark Crystal. Uh, his work, his creatures, his trolls, his universe is what inspired Henson to create Dark Crystal. Uh, Henson hired Brian Froud to create all this extra concept art for the movie. Brian and his family actually worked on the new Dark Crystal series. And while I was watching the documentary on that, I realized that. I didn't realize. They told me Brian will, he makes these really sketchy drawings. And basically, he allows his hand to do the thinking. This idea that he'll just start putting pencil to the page and just scratch away and just see what these lines start looking like and letting them lead the way. There's this play, this unconsciousness that you can tap into if you'll explore that way. My buddy Go Shrimp, this isn't even another one of the free prompts. This is just off the cuff, baby. My buddy Go Shrimp, Dan Bandit. Talks. I love this idea. He talks about he gets a big blank page and he just like grinds into it and just sees like what world can he carve out? What world wants to be unleashed from the clay of this blank page and just hack away everything else that's not there? Just like the, I love this idea of like unleashing something from the page and Brian Froud will just start making some gestures, some lines and seeing what does that look like? So maybe it looks like you just unconsciously throwing down some lines, throwing down some melodies and seeing what emerges and running from that. One way I did that back in the day when I was making music is I would uh, sing a melody, chop it up, and then just randomly on on beat, rearrange it and use the new melody as the actual melody for the song. Uh, I think Panda Bear actually potentially did that too. I'm a big fan of him. So that was 19, but don't tell anybody. We're going to throw another one in to 19 right here. Savage Garden, you didn't know. <laughs> You didn't know I was going to run with Savage Garden, but he, uh, the singer of Savage Garden did a big thread on Twitter recently about how he wrote his biggest hit and how the prompt for that was they'd made this album. They were super proud of it, but the record label was like, there's no hits on this thing and you've got to come up with something that rivals your last album. And so him and his writing partner were like, all right, let's sit down and let's just piss off this record label and write the most sappy, crappiest hit and just send it over as like a big middle finger. Like, here's your hit, some stupid radio-ready crap. 
And they just made it through the lens of making fun of themselves, making fun of pop music. And they ended up writing something that brought tears to their eyes. And I love this idea of getting past your pretension, getting past your guilt in the guilty pleasure. You know, this idea that it's so easy to write a Katy Perry song and we all just disparage her. Wide Awake is one of my favorite songs. Firework, these are the running songs of the century. They're so, I love them. And they're really simple. They're ideas that, you know, I think there's some cliches in there, but sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason. Anyway, uh, I'm Firework. Uh, I'm going to light it up like the 4th of July, baby, right here, right now. What are the ways that you say, oh, it's so easy for illustrators to get followers on Instagram when you're drawing cats? Maybe you need to draw a freaking cat. It's not above you or below you or beneath you. Just make it. Take a MGMT. Dang it. Too many prompts on this episode. MGMT. I love this story. Their biggest hits, Kids and Electric Feel, were written in character. They were at college, big fancy. I think they might have been at like Columbia or something. And they created these characters, these kind of stupid indie rock dance people and they, uh, slash ravers or something. And they created these characters. They got in costumes and they made music that they were like, this is the stupid crap that's popular. And they ended up on, I think there's some kind of playfulness. There's some kind of getting beyond your ego and your sophistication and all of the self-loathing and hatred that holds you back. That says, oh, I can't possibly write a song like Goo Goo Dolls. That's why I freaking love the 1975. That One of my favorite bands, you probably heard me talk about them before. They made on their new album, one of my favorite songs of theirs is I always want to die sometimes and they hired the guy who did the strings from Goo Goo Dolls Iris and there's just like this this courage to step into stuff that moves you even if it's not popular and I think this prompt of putting on your thinking cap in the way of making fun of what you think is bad taste as a way to play if you think it's so easy to write Katy Perry songs Write one, okay? And when you can't and you realize that she's a goddess of songwriting, I don't actually, I'm not a huge fan. I like those two songs, but try it. (laughs) We got one more coming at you. Okay, last one. Did you ever know that you're my hero, Andy J Pizza? Be your own hero, okay? I don't believe in that. It sounds, again, insufferable. A lot of self-loathing in this episode. But yeah, my last prompt, prompt number whatever we're on, supposedly 20, comes from myself. One of the uh, things that unlocked some of my best work was when I created a key for my own work that explained my work to my audience. And this was Invisible Things, these were all characters. This was an idea that was present in my works in 2008, but I'd never really explained it in a clear way that a lot of these characters were personified ideas, abstract ideas personified into creatures. So dreams, love, dark matter, all these things that you can't see embodied in a creature. 
And uh, I just created a little key, which was these characters, some of these characters, not all of them. I have more coming. Stay tuned. Uh, in a grid with their names. And I put invisible things at the top. Just does what it says in the tin, if you're British. Um, and, and just explained exactly what my work was about. And this was so powerful to me. By the way, make yourself a key. Make yourself an explainer uh, song. That t make a, Write a song that, that's about your songwriting philosophy. Uh, I would listen to that. Tell, show it to me. Tag me in it. I want to hear it. It's interesting. I love art. I love concept creation. I want to hear what's behind the, behind the music. And... Um, you know, don't use the same grid system I used for invisible things, please. Not just because that's, uh, you know, janking on my stuff, but also just because it's boring. Like, think of some different ways. How do you create a key to explain what is your stuff all about? I highly recommend this because it taps into one of my favorite concepts of the podcast, which is the coffee in the cup analogy. And by saying that, I realize I need to make an episode that's a key of creative pep talk. That's just like, here's all the key concepts of things running through this show that are going to reoccur. One of them is coffee in the cup. So artists, a lot of artists, I think you either lean on one side or the other. You're either coffee or your cup. Coffee being the essence, like this is the deep stuff. This is what really matters. This is the big behind the scenes stuff. Or the cup, the container, the veneer, which is the style or the marketing or the, or, or the words. Like there's this different, you know, you, you, the coffee, you don't want to drink coffee out of a dirty Dixie cup, Okay. It doesn't matter if it's the most finest Colombian beans that you're sipping on uh, if, you're, if it's out of the wrong cup and vice versa. It'd be the nicest ceramic piece in the world. But if you're drinking garbage, uh, garbage, garbage beans out of that beautiful ceramic, it's not going to taste great. You got to have both. You got to have the essence and the container. And so I had had the essence for a long time, like I said, since 2008, but I'd never had a container that was able, that was drinkable for my audience. And so how can you give them some shorthand, meet them halfway, put it on the nose, Straight to the point. This is what my work is about. This is what's interesting about my work. This is why I keep coming back to it. This is why I show up every day to put my name to this stuff. Don't make them fight for it every time. And make a key for your work. All right, that's it. I hope this episode, these 20 prompts supercharged your 2020 and get some, get you out of the rut, get you out of your groove. The emperor's got a whole new groove and it's coming from these prompts. I hope that it is helpful to you. I really tried to get out of my own grooves. I've never done an episode about creative prompts before and it was pushing me out of my comfort zone and I had to dig deep, rack my brain. I told you I listed a lot more than I even addressed here uh, and uh, I hope that 
it really lights you on fire. Every single week, I need to stop talking. Every single week, I show up, I dig, I try to get that stuff that's going to light you on fire for another week so you can stack week upon week upon week of showing up and doing the work because that's what really counts. I'm happy to give you this gift. If you want to give me a little gift back, I'd really appreciate it if you... uh, Review this show on Apple Podcasts. Used to be called iTunes. You just go to the show, Creative Pep Talk, rate and review the show, give it a rating, give it a review. That, some reason, makes a huge difference in visibility of the show. If you've never done that, it would mean a ton to me if you would give it a shot. Um, and get an influx of some new reviews so that more creative people can get set on fire in 2020 for their creative stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. You can listen to the Creative Pep Talk Volume 1 soundtrack on Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, Thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for some audio assistance. Thanks to Ryan Appleton for telling me about the Sugar Ray effect and for prompting this episode to be the opposite of the Sugar Ray effect and totally get me out of my groove. Loved it. Loved that idea. Thanks to all of you for tuning in week after week. I am pumped to bring you fiery pep all throughout 2020. Let's get it, man. Let's make this year something totally unexpected. Let's go. But that's not how I end the podcast. Stay pepped up. <laughs>